The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. Everybody, welcome to this first in of the year, of the school year, of the fall quarter. We are really glad that you have made time to join us here and hope that you will make time in your busy schedules. We know that classes for many of you don't start until tomorrow. For some of you, they don't start for another week. But I hope that you will uh, you will build it in to join us every week here at the Inn. We have a marvelous staff that is dying to get to know you. You had a chance to meet them a little bit in their athletic prowess in that Olympic video. And, and though we stand up here and we talk and we do announcements, we're on videos, we're larger than life, uh, know that, that our heart is to know you, uh, to, to know students that are on the campuses of Seattle, so though we might have, uh, for me, a new title, like director, know that uh, that doesn't insulate me from being interested in, in you and in what's going on in your lives. Uh, we love our jobs here. And hope that you will choose uh, to be with us every Tuesday. Again, I want to highlight, um, speaking of Facebook, these little flyers that you got in uh, on the way in. If you didn't get one on the way in, I encourage you to pick one up before you take off. And it is really uh, a menu of all the different ways that you can get involved here at University Ministries. The inn goes far beyond Tuesday nights. Uh, the opportunity to go on mission trips throughout the year. Uh, at Christmas break, at spring break, there's a two-month opportunity in the summer that you're going to have the opportunity to hear about two Tuesdays from now, so you're not going to want to miss that. And what I really want to highlight tonight is this, and Emily uh, shared a bit in her testimony that we are taking sign-ups for our small groups. We call them core groups. And though this is going to sound a bit like an exaggeration, it's not. That this, that signing up for a core group could be one of the most important things that you do in your university experience. And if you find yourself sitting here tonight going, but I don't know anybody to be in a small group with, friends, this is your chance. I invite you to uh, perhaps take a risk. But if you find yourself to be somebody really seeking to grow in your faith, I challenge you to go visit the table over here to my right, most of yours left, uh, that says core groups and sign up following the in tonight. Well, as said earlier, my name is Ryan Church. I've actually been around this neighborhood for quite a while, but I'm the new director here at University Ministries, and it all comes back to Facebook, doesn't it? Okay, Because I am also on Facebook, and I invite you to look me up. I, this is me right now inviting you to be my Facebook friend. Here's my request, though. Here's my request, is that if you do add me as a friend, say, hey, dude, church, I was at the end tonight, so that I don't think you're some random, like some girl that I knew in high school that now got married and changed her name, and I really have no idea who it is. So so what I want you to do is feel free to look me up, add as a friend, uh, so that I can beat Becky Riggers, because that's my goal. Uh, all that to say, we... Uh, we do hope that you will find community here and hope that this is a place that you can go 
uh, deeper in your faith, if you're one that has been following Jesus for a while, uh, right down to if you find yourself here tonight and you are still exploring the Christian faith, you are still asking the questions, who is this Jesus? What is God all about anyway? We hope that this can be an inviting place for you as well. All are welcome here at the inn. Come back next week. Bring your friends. But by all means, make yourself at home. Now, as I launch into tonight, I gotta tell you that as a new dad to a 10 day old, which is a lot of fun, I know, I know. Thank you, thank you. One of the phrases that Julie and I find ourselves exchanging the most is, is, you gotta see this, or come check this out, is Carson might, might do something that even resembles a smile. Oh, look, 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 you gotta see this. You know, or embarking upon one of, of what we think will be many firsts for Carson, for Carson, you gotta see this. And it's, it's this really exciting moment when we're, hey, hey, come check this out, you gotta see this. And you do have to see this, and here he is right there. There he is. That is Carson Charles Church. He was born on September 13th, and he is a little pumpkin head, and, and we love him, and, and he's great. You've got to see this. It's a phrase that Julie and I say often and with excitement at this point. Uh, but, you know, at work, it's a phrase I hear a lot, too. As you have already experienced, the staff here at University Ministries is a very fun-loving, kind of outgoing, if not a bit eccentric crowd, and we love to spend some time on the information superhighway. And so often I heard Becky saying, hey, Ryan, you got to see this. Come here, check this out. And she had found this blog, and it's called Cake Rex. And the, these cake wrecks are these, these weird looking cakes that people have made. Like, these are real cakes. I want to show some of them to you, okay? These, now, now luckily, when Julie and I had a baby, nobody bought us a cake like this. Check out the one in the upper left. That looks like a doll. How could you eat that cake? Uh, yes, I, I would like a leg, please. Yeah, hook me up with that leg. And, and what do you do with the person that comes in and says, oh yeah, hook me up with that head. Okay? And then, and then congratulations, that one on the right, and that baby is absolutely wailing. Okay? Yeah, hey, have fun with parenthood. Congratulations with that screamer. Or, hey, yeah, why don't you hook me up with some of that dirty diaper hanging out right there? Okay? Cake wrecks. Okay? There's also ones not just of babies, but of pregnant people. Look at that! You guys, that is a cake. There's, there's another one on Cake Rex where there's like this chick in a Brazilian bikini and it's cake of somebody pregnant and that's what they're wearing. And then this one has this sweet like butterfly tat on it. I mean, when you're serving that up, you're like, oh yeah, hey, hook me up with that tat right there. No, okay. And, and so then there's other, then, then these are some of my favorites where there, there was clearly somebody that said, they gave the piece of paper and they said, hey, I want a cake and put the Olympic rings on it. So when they filled out their order, they, they wrote Olympic rings. And this is what they got. <laughs> Olympic rings. More examples like that. These, these are great. Okay. This one. Happy November and December birthdays. And then abbreviate Nova and Dece if you need to. Okay. The cake maker took this very seriously. Man, I gotta find a way to get Nov and Dees and 
You see what I'm saying? You gotta see this. And then one of my favorites is just somebody that said, hey, what do you want on your cake? Oh, write welcome on it. Okay. So they wrote write welcome on it. And these are cake wrecks. I think, I think it's a cake wrecks at blogspot.com. I'm telling you, I, who knew that looking at weird cakes could be so much fun? But it is. Now, we are not going to look at cakes for both their freaky and unintentional comedy the rest of the quarter. But what, what I am saying as we come into our text tonight is you gotta see this. You gotta see this. Now, last week we finished up our summer series by, uh, through a series in 2 Corinthians, and, and I talked about seeing the unseen. There's so much in the journey of faith where it is unseen. By virtue of the, the word faith, the meaning of faith, there is something unseen. But it's not all unseen. We're not totally blind. We do get glimpses into God and his character. And dare I say, most clearly and primarily, we get those glimpses is in the gospel. The four books in the New Testament, and particularly, I think, in the gospel of Mark. Over this quarter, we are going to journey through these words that Mark wrote about Jesus. Though this is the second book in the New Testament, it is widely accepted as the first of the four gospel accounts of Jesus that was written. And as we journey through this, I want to challenge, I want us to change, I'm sorry, I want us to change the dynamic of a very popular question. Okay, a very popular question. And that question is, what would Jesus do? Right? Some of us have a bracelet on our, on our, uh, wrists that, that say, what would Jesus do? And in order to look at what would Jesus do, I want us to kind of change the question and ask, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? That's right, we're going to change it. There we go, throw a D in there. What did Jesus do? Because if you're going to have any shot at answering the old question, you have to have a solid awareness of what Jesus what this person that many in this room would call Lord actually did. So throughout this quarter, we are going to look at Jesus' actions, his behaviors, his interactions with others. We are going to listen to the text and ask the question, what is the image that we get of God here? As we listen to the text, we're going to ask, what is the image of what is actually happening with this Jesus in the words that Mark has recorded for us. One of the great invitations of the Christian faith is to come and see. And whether you have been following Jesus your entire life, or whether you have just recently committed to a relationship with him, or whether you are still exploring, I'm confident that this, that this series is going to be one that is edifying and engaging for you. So please come and join us as we seek to see in these words of Mark, what did Jesus do? Before we get started, let me, let me uh, pray for us and ask God to help us out in this. Lord, be our teacher. Lord, uh, in the words of the Apostle John, give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear what you, uh, what you are up to. Uh, Lord, help us to see into this text that that we have been given through the gospel of Mark. Lord, give us images that communicate you uh, truthfully and help us walk in that. 
Lord, thank you for your love and your grace to bring us here. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, let's dive right into the beginning of the Gospel of Mark and what we're going to be looking at right up until Christmas. We're going to spend a lot of time looking at images and actions in the text. But like I said, I encourage you to be great listeners as well. So every week we will post the text on the board that we're going to be preaching on. But I also invite you to hear this. If you need to close your eyes and focus in on the words or if you bring your Bible, whatever works best for you. Hear these words from Mark 1. Ready? Here we go. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Isn't it great that Mark tells us exactly what this book is all about? It is about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. A book written about 60 years after Jesus died, and some say was intended to get the record straight about who Jesus is. A lot of people were making false accusations about about Christians, and there's a lot of scholarship that says Mark was writing this to say, no, 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 you have got us Christians and our Lord all wrong. So let me set the record straight about what Jesus is all about. And so Mark is out to establish him as the son of God or the prophesied Messiah of the ancient Hebrews. Mark wrote down everything that is in this book to help readers grasp simply this, the true idea of Jesus Christ as the son of God. And so we are going to look at the actions that help us see Jesus Christ, the son of God. We continue. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send a messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with leather belts around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let's stop there real quick and talk about this John the Baptist fellow. Who is John the Baptist and why is he important? Well, John was a Jewish dude that was frankly a little on the weird side. Camel hair, leather belt, locusts, wild honey, come on. He is the cousin of Jesus that came with a compelling message, this compelling message about a new world that that is breaking in upon us. Now, While John didn't know exactly what this was going to look like, he was there to try and and help people see a new way of looking at things. Let's think of it like this. I'm not the best sleeper in the world. My wife can attest to this. I, I often toss and turn for one reason or another. It's too loud. I'm too hot. I've got too much on my mind. I hang out in the dark going... This is cool. It's dark. It is, I I don't know what it is. I have a brutal time, often have a brutal time trying to sleep. And you can imagine having a 10 day old in the house doesn't really make it all that much easier to get 
that much sleep. So on those nights when I'm when I'm struggling to find sleep, often sometime around I don't know 4:30 or 5, I finally find rest. And right as I'm falling asleep, my alarm clock chimes in and reminds me that the night is over. The darkness is over and a new day has come. What had been happening, it's now time to kiss that goodbye and look for something else. My point is this, is that in some ways, John is like a camel hair, leather belt wearing alarm clock fueled by locusts and honey. He's an alarm clock. And he isn't just an alarm clock that wakes you up, but as the text says, he splashes a little bit of water on you and says, come on, let's go. We're going to do a little something different here. So get yourself ready and wake up to the fact that there is a new reality that is coming. John is there to, to make a new announcement that something else is coming. The darkness is finished. A new day is here. And it's time to do something different. John says, pay attention and see how this story is going to be different from anything that you expected. Let's continue in Mark 1, beginning at the ninth verse. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved, you are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the desert. And he was in the desert for 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals and the angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So we hear of the baptism and temptation of Jesus. What is it that we see in these two events of Jesus' life? What is it that we see in these two events of Jesus' life? First, baptism. What do you see here? Let me share a little bit with you of what I see. I see two guys hanging out, standing in a river. One has the task of speaking of the kingdom of God by talking about the other. That's John's task. The other has the task of speaking of the kingdom of God as the kingdom of God, as the son of God. Okay, two guys, and and even as I say that, you can kind of say, man, one seems to have a bigger role than the other. One is the Son of God. That if we were to do a little org chart of the New Testament, John the Baptist is going to be a little bit lower than Jesus in, in all the way that we think about things, right? Let's take a look at, just to, just to kind of get an idea of what I'm talking about here, and I want you to get to know the U-Men staff a little bit more. So let's take a look at the U-Men org chart to get an idea of what I'm talking about. Okay? We're to take a look at the traditional view of the U-Men org chart. You know, where might you find me? Oh, there I am at the top. Okay? 
Then you've got Janie, we've got the coordinating staff, Nolan, Mike, Emily, and Becky. And then you've got the interns down there on the triangle, Jordan, Kelly, Tyler, Tom. And then as Jen introduced herself the other day, she's the fifth intern. So, you know, we got Jen there at the very bottom, okay? In a sense, when we talk about John coming and saying, you know what, all of your ideas about how things are going to be is totally different, he says, kind of this, this spiritual org chart that you've thought of and the way that you think about power and hierarchy is going to all be different. So it would be like this. So everything gets mixed up and lo and behold, Jen Lindsay all of a sudden is kind of there at the top. So you've got the, you've got the interns and that's right. Anybody that has ever spent any time around university ministries knows that really Becky is the one that leads everything. I show you the human org chart, not uh, not to you know necessarily put myself at the bottom, but to show you kind of a little bit more about our staff, but to also give you a visual for how Jesus comes in and says everything and the way you think about it is going to be different. Jesus didn't come simply to rest on the top, but instead, in getting baptized, he basically says, I'm going to get low. I'm going to get under. I'm going to go in the water while John is still the one out of the water. You guys, this is the visual of a God that says, I am not going to cling to my rights as God. Philippians 2. But rather, this is a God that says, I'm going to come down and there isn't any depth at all that is too low for me. In Jesus' baptism, we begin to get this vision of God. One that is not going to cling to his rights as the director at the top of the org chart, but is saying, you know what? I'm willing to put myself underneath it all. That is in part what we see in Jesus' baptism. As Jesus comes out of the water, He says that he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending like a dove. Now, it's tough to know exactly what that means. But perhaps it is a marker of the beginning of his ministry and his anointing from a father to a son, from the father to the son of God. Now, in in talking about this with the in-speaking team, uh, this image was suggested to me as this mark that we're talking about. And so I want to I show you this clip. And in this clip, you are going to see our friends Peter Parker and MJ. Oh, uh, yeah. I've often said that in the movie of my life, Tobey Maguire probably plays me. Let's be honest. <laughs> now, while Jesus is not merely a superhero... There's part of the idea here that is the same. A dove came down on Jesus. A spider came down on Peter Parker, on Spider-Man. And in what, in, in so doing, leaves a mark on Peter Parker, and this dove leaves a mark on Jesus. Now, I'm not convinced that like, that like Spider-Man, who by getting bit by the spider, then gained all these superpowers, and then was propelled into the ministry of Spider-Man. As much as what what I want to show is that baptism is a mark that Jesus had this dove that then from, from there he is changed. 
like Peter Parker. And, and it is from here that we see Jesus go and fulfill the balance of his ministry. This baptism that is the mark of a God that is saying, I am willing to get low. The idea is the same. In Luke's account of Jesus in the synagogue, Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus embraces the reality of God's spirit upon him. Now, Mark is a very quick moving book. So after we hear about this baptism, we it says at once Jesus was led into the desert. And as we go through this this quarter, I I challenge you to look at how often we see the words at once or immediately. You'll see that word immediately 41 times. This is a story of Jesus that moves rather quickly. And in this case, it's interesting how that same spirit that descended upon him in the wilderness now sends him out into the wilderness where he is tempted. Now, in Mark's account, we don't get any specifics as to what happened out there in the wilderness and in the desert, although Matthew does. But it's likely because Mark wants to show how much of Jesus' ministry was an encounter with the devil. It wasn't just an isolated example out in the wilderness. In fact, we get, as we picture Jesus being moved out into the desert, I think it's really important that we don't just see the desert and the wilderness as a bad spot. As we'll see throughout Mark, the, the wilderness is often a place that Jesus goes to be refreshed as well. So let's, let's not put a taboo on the desert. It's a place of great refreshment. But when we see these events that happen back to back, the spirit of God descending like a dove and anointing him and that same spirit moving Jesus in the desert, we begin to get the idea that God is not merely seeking to insulate or immobilize one and then just stop them to be safe, protected by God. But rather, what that spirit does is assure somebody and in that assurance they move. The Spirit assures us. Uh, in 1994, uh, as, as Tim, one of the guys that was up here earlier, shared, uh, I was a freshman here at the University of Washington. I quickly joined a fraternity. Uh, and in that first, especially that first year and a half, uh, enjoyed the, the fraternity life and uh, enjoyed what I like to call garden variety fraternal hedonism. During that, during that first year, I partied pretty hard. Uh, I had a fake ID and took many what you might call, I don't know, moral liberties during that time. And it was, it was after, uh, after a, a, a few events where I found myself going, you know, if I'm going to say that I believe this, there's probably a bit of a behavior change that needs needs to be made. And while in that process of, of really becoming a Christian and putting my weight down on Christ, uh, there are some people that, that that's a circumstance where they need to flee. But for me, being in the fraternity, empowered by the Spirit of God, was exactly where I was supposed to be. I enjoyed my last two and a half years in the fraternity way more than I enjoyed the first year and a half. I built some great relationships in the house at that time with people that were like me and with people that were not. 
Being empowered by the Spirit did not mean that I needed to somehow get in a place where there would be no more temptation. But rather, being empowered and cared for by the Spirit allowed me to to go and take risks that perhaps would have otherwise been far more dangerous. The Spirit of the God does not insulate us or immobilizes us. Rather, in the assurance that we have, we are set free and we can move. What's the point of all this? This baptism and temptation stuff. In the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, what we see in these two examples, listen up, because this is what you need to catch. This is, this is what you need to catch about who is the Son of God. This is a man, Jesus, identifying his ministry completely with humanity and the sin of humanity. How did he do that? He identifies with us and our sins. He does this by submitting, by humbling himself in baptism, yet he had no sin. He did this by opening himself to temptation and being out in the world, in the wilderness, not avoiding temptation. What we see in the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, this story that we're told in verse 1 is a story about the Son of God, is Jesus proclaiming his identity with human nature, with weakness and sin. Friends, the invitation of this text is to, for us to enter into a relationship with God that has made it a priority to say, I am not just out there. I'm not just, not just a God that is aloof or arbitrary. I am with you. From beginning to the end to the very depths, I am with you. The invitation does not stop there. As Jesus identifies with humanity, the invitation is to identify with his baptism. Do you hear this? The invitation is to identify with Jesus' baptism. And what do we hear when we identify with Jesus' baptism? We hear this. You are my beloved child whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Have you ever been baptized? Have you ever been baptized? If you never have, I challenge you to listen and watch this series over this quarter. And consider consider this. Is this Jesus that we see worthy of your respect and trust and love? We're going to be doing a baptism at our winter retreat in January. And if you've never been baptized and you, and you want to consider this Jesus this quarter, I want you to consider being baptized in a really cold lake <laughs> in January. If you have been baptized, how do you remember that baptism? Is it something that you can look back on and hear You are my beloved child whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. My challenge to you, if you have been baptized, is to listen to this story and to watch Jesus in return to remembering that the mark, like Peter Parker's spider bite, the mark that has been left on you is you are my beloved child 
whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Friends, you've got to see this. You've got to see this gospel. You've got to see the Son of God constantly reach out and invite those around him and get a bigger taste of what this relationship is all about. Friends, the invitation to the gospel is an invitation to a life of meaning and purpose that is very dynamic and not boring. Let's watch how that plays out in Jesus' life together here at the end this quarter. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, thank you that you have given us your word, that you have given us your son, that you have given us something to see in the midst of so much that is unseen. Help us to see you more clearly as we show up here week in and week out. Help us to love you and trust you more. Help us to remember our baptisms. Help us to hear your voice saying, you are my child whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.